Hey everyone, welcome to episode 145 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. I'm Chris Grasser-Rapple. Collins is not here for, I think, the first time ever, but I did get Lee to come hang out. Hey, Lee. Hey, Chris. Yeah, I, I took... I got a message out of the blue from you yesterday night. You're like, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? I'm like, yes. Didn't Great. take me long. <laughs> One of the weird things about the quarantine is that, like, I've been wanting to talk magic a lot, but I don't have that many people to talk to, like, physically, you know? <laughs> It's rough. Yeah. I mean, there's like a lot of stuff going on. There's at least like, if nothing else, constant standard being played. And then there, but there are developments in sort of the wider world of magic. So I definitely, we're going to talk about some of those things today. Um, We're going to talk about the latest ban and restricted announcement. We're going to talk about some of the tournaments that are going on and some organized play things that have happened. Uh, Then we're going to talk about the Lotus Box League Modern Tournament, the results from that, and sort of the evolution of the modern format, and then segue from there into, you know, briefly considering whether this is a healthy format after what we looked at this weekend, and uh, figure out, you know, at least give our opinions on whether or not it is healthy if bans are needed to fix it or something else is needed, so... Before we get too into it, I want to thank our patrons. We really appreciate your support. If you'd like to become a patron, head over to mtggrindcast.com or patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Uh, you want to kick things off with a keeper mole? I would love to. Do you have one? I do have one. This is totally a not made up keeper mole in order to demonstrate a concept. This is a real keeper mole. A real keeper um, mole we found on CCR's notepad. But we... We watched the emergence, or, you know, this deck had existed for a little while, but not very long, and it really kind of had its coming out party this weekend, and that deck is Black Red Prowess. So, Prowess cards, Thought Seizes, Fatal Pushes, Luris, and it really did extremely well in our tournament, and we'll talk some of those numbers in a little bit, but for now, it's enough to know that that is the deck. This is a Luris deck with Prowess Threats and Disruption. And so the hand that I have been thinking of is we've got two Blackleaf Cliffs, a Mountain, a Bloodstained Mire, a Misha's Bauble, a Thoughtseize, and a Lightning Bolt. So say we're on the play in the dark game one. What's our opponent's companion? It's a it's a Luris. Sure. It's a Luris? Okay. So we've got four lands, a Bauble, and two interactive spells on different axes. But no threat. And, you know, the threats in our deck are Monastery of Spear, Soulscar Mage, Abbot of Carol Keep. Like, low-to-the-ground threats that you want to start off with. Yeah. At least in traditional Magic the Gathering. So, I think you want me to say I'd keep this hand. And it's like a I want you to. Hand. I want you to talk about it. I don't I don't necessarily want you to say anything in particular. But uh, we'll see. You know. I, this hand is, like, almost good enough for me. Like, you've got mm-hmm. two different interactive spells. And... I just don't like Thoughtseize as much against Luris decks because it's, mm-hmm. like, not that great. They always recover. Uh, mm-hmm. Bolt's really good against Luris, and then there's no threat, and I want to be pressuring these decks. And having a four-land hand is a little too much for me. I know lands are really good with Luris, and you've got Mistress Bobble Luris, but we're still in the London mulligan, so I would just mulligan this for a six. Even though, mm-hmm. like, Bobble fetch land... Interact as well as Luris is like a good path to victory. I think you can still have most of those with a mulligan. Okay. Uh, 
So say that, what if we upgrade this hand just slightly? What if that lightning bolt is like seal of fire instead? Mm-hmm. In the, in the Luris mirror. If it's seal of fire instead, huh? I mean, it makes it more interesting, but I mm-hmm. still think I'm shifting it back. Still I, not super into it. No. Like if one of the lands, honestly, if one of the lands were any spell at all, I sure. would keep it. Yeah. Like not a creature, just a spell. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, I I intentionally made this hand have four lands because I think that is like the the turning point that makes you think like, hmm, I wonder about this hand. It like makes it really close. But you know, this hand would never be anywhere close to a keep in any sort of pre Luris era. Oh, but no, the fact absolutely. that you do have Luris sitting there means that like Bobble is just a crazy card in your hand. You don't necessarily need to start off with a threat if if your if your hand is closer to exactly the disruption that you want in a matchup, then I think you're totally fine starting with no threat. If it's like two thought seizes against an ad nauseum deck or something like that. Yeah, like if this were my... I've already mulliganed once seven, and I'm mm-hmm. keeping to put like decide which to put back or go to mulligan again, I would keep this hand, because it's, it's yeah. like a really yeah. good six-card hand. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to five, but as right. a seven-card hand, I just yeah. believe you have a better percentage of hands that will do the same job. Sure. Yep, and, and having a companion does make up for mulliganing too often. And, and you know, as long as you make land drops after the mulligan, then you can buy cards back, basically. Right. This is all kind of also talking about the fact that the red-black prowess deck has moved really far away from our sort of, like, previous understanding of what a prowess deck is. You know, we saw, we saw this deck play out a lot this weekend, and... I honestly think that it's way closer to being a Jund deck than being a Prowess deck at this point. Um, it's it's more keyed towards having the right disruption at the right time, and it's just it just is that the threats are more efficient in a Luris deck. You would rather have one mana threats than two mana threats, and if you're trying to cast Mishra's Bobble every turn anyways, it's like, well, I guess I might as well play guys that, that make that good. This is gonna sound like a weird comparison, but this deck reminds me a lot of Is It Phoenix before Faceless mm-hmm. Living was banned, because you're just casting cards that mostly cantrip, and your threats just get stronger while you're just spinning wheels. Yeah, and you don't have to invest resources into it. That's why it's a better Jun deck because you're playing all these interactive spells and like a threat, and your threats just right. better because you always have it and you're interacting so much. Where the Jun decks, you know, they're just scaled up. They all cost two instead of one, like you said. Mm-hmm. They're just much slower to get off the ground. The removal's clunkier. Like, they're still playing Abrupt Decay in some numbers. It's just yeah. not where I want to be. One mana spells are way better than one two mana spells. Right, and getting your Tarmogoyth Fatal Push, like, sucks. Getting your Soulscar Mage Fatal Push really doesn't feel that bad. I mean, you don't love it, but it's, like, fine. Well, when you're stuck on four lands, and you're, like, playing the Luris sub-game... Sure. Uh, Tarmogoyf is way worse than like a one mana spell because you can play Luris one mana spell, then block, play the one mana spell again, and then keep doing things with three mana instead of being tied up with two mana. Yep, you're like and, over you know, twice as efficient. Once you do have two, once you are able to cast two mana threats, Abbot of Carol Keep is actually like pretty good when <laughs> you just keep casting it over and over again. I watched so many games on stream of that, and it just always revealed a creature. I have no idea why. But it's Abbot of Carol Keep and then Monastery Mentor, just right along for the ride. Swiss Spear, not. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, like... Monastery Swiss Spear. 
Yeah, no, it 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 seemed to be hitting a lot. The Ab- the Abbots we saw this weekend were really good. It's not like you just play four and you're done, right? You just can keep playing them from the graveyard. Right, right. I mean, yeah, I guess it, it's just like you don't expect to be that many Abbot hits in any particular game, but in these games, just like two or three times as many Abbots got cast, so there were way more hits, you know, per game on average. Yeah, do but, you want to just yeah. talk about the tournament at large? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. We're just like seeing Enracto's prowess, praises, and I love, I, I love that deck. But there were other decks too. There were other decks too, and I, I mean, that was definitely the most successful deck of the weekend. It was pretty heavily played and ended up with about a sixty percent win rate over the the course of the weekend. Did not take down our tournament because it ran into ad nauseum at the end. But you know, three copies in our top four. I, yeah, I wanted to call Ad Nauseam like the nightmare matchup, but it's not that bad when it, you got to see Ad Nauseam versus Team Escape Shift, which yeah. was a slaughter. <laughs> yeah, Team Escape Shift, also a deck that relatively new development in modern... I mean, there have been Team Escape Shift decks before, but having it be like the most popular deck in the format is a very, very new development. Yeah, it's kind of like... I think people just decided it was the best mid-range deck that could play Yorion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think if we'd given it a week or two, there would have been a lot more copies of Bant Stoneblade, because that's just like uh, Harlan and Zach worked on that, and their deck looked pretty good. Harlan almost made top eight, and a lot of people love playing that style of deck, so I think if people had been more aware of that, as opposed to the Scapeshift deck, which just won, uh, I think it was a challenge on Edgar's behalf, yeah, yeah, Edgar won a challenge with and it. And everyone's like, wow, this deck is crazy. And I think someone won a Super PTQ the, the week before, the day before. And people were like, wow, this is the Yorion deck. Let's go. And people just kind of stopped looking after that, which I think is what contributed a lot to its popularity. Yeah, so our, our top eight was um, one Ad Nauseum, three Red Black Prowess, two Scapeshift, a Bogles, and a Devoted Devastation deck. So, you know relatively diverse but definitely the the two most represented decks in the field were the ones with repeat uh appearances in the top eight in scapeshift and black red prowess and definitely black red prowess was sort of the story of the weekend we found it very difficult to find any feature matches that were not starring rectos prowess as as one or both of the the decks involved so we ended up with a lot of that deck on camera over the course of the week which was fine Um, honestly the games with Luris, like Luris Mirrors, are really engaging because there's so many resources mm-hmm. and there's like a lot of back and forth with the the prowess decks because they have Cling to Dust and Cole gets come in to like play a cat and mouse game. Oh my god, Cling to Dust. Holy crap, oh, the card you is wa- really You want to know a funny story? Because I saw, like the weeks leading up to this, Dylan did really well in a challenge with red-white prowess. And I looked mm-hmm. at that deck and I'm like, oh, this is a pretty good Luris deck. Like, I, I could see this deck being good. And then, several days later, rolls up with this red-black prowess list with four Cling to Dust, four Manworthos, and I'm like, wow, this deck looks really good. And it, all it was was <laughs> honestly just the Cling to Dust. I'm like, wow, that's just basically divination with interaction attached. Yeah, and it's just extra prowess triggers, and it disrupts their Luris like getting a bobble with it feels really good getting seal of fire with it feels even better and yeah it just gives you this like 
slowly accruing advantage over the course of the game, while the first cast is completely fine. It's exile a card from the graveyard, draw a card, get your prowess it's, triggered. It's also so, randomly a split card for some reason. Like, you can, if you exile a right. creature, you gain life. So you can yeah. get above the, if it's coming down to a life total thing, you just get their creature. You gain a life. Three life, even. Yeah, you just get get extra options yeah the, the right this aggro deck just has multiple avenues of life gain between cling to dust and Luris. like you can you can claw back out of burn range if you are starting to take over the well, game yeah it, it really helps make these games more dynamic because they just end up lasting longer yeah and a lot of those mirrors a handful of the games that we saw ended with one player getting run over but we saw in our in our semifinals we saw Abe Stein playing against uh, Nathan Stoyer. In game three, I believe, Nathan chose to draw. And we saw the players like talking about it in, in the Magic Online chat. And, and Abe was like, yeah, I just, I think you're right. I just like didn't bite the bullet on it. Like, like I just wasn't brave enough to, to do that. But, you know, Jeremy and I were talking about it on camera. But before Nathan chose to draw, and we were like, I wonder if it's right to draw in this matchup. And this is one of the very few matchups in modern magic where i think it might actually be right it's it's like an aggressive mirror with lots of one mana cards that trade for each other and no big like mana intensive haymakers of the style of like hazaret or experimental frenzy or and and no planeswalkers so there's not like a super compelling reason to be on the play the way that a lot of of modern magic cards have, have given you and it actually, because it's so, you know, resource trading intensive of a matchup, being on the draw actually seemed really good. Yeah, I, I agree, but I think it's only right this week. Like, I don't... Cards mm-hmm. will change, decks will change, and it's not clear to me that it'll always be correct to, like, be on the draw in this mirror, you know? People figure stuff sure. out or have a different way of playing the matchup, and it just changes. Yeah, but, like, you know, the fact that... I think a fundamental thing in this matchup is the fact that nobody can slam down a really powerful three or four mana card except for Luris. And Luris, you really want to cast after, like, everybody's spent anyways. So, you know, the fact that some big powerful thing isn't just going to come down once you make that land drop, like, makes it really different from other sorts of grindy mirrors. There's no, we're all done except for I've got this big thing. It's just Luris, but both players always have it. Yeah, and you're that. always aware of it. You're always trying to hold a removal spell for it. Unlike if your right. opponent just slams a Planeswalker and you've got a Fatal Push in your hand, you're like, oh no, this oh. is not good. <laughs> Guess I'm dead to that Chandra. Yeah. The the individual games were really, really, like, definitely skill-intensive and, and definitely pretty fun to watch. So I, I enjoyed... We did have that mirror up a couple of times, and I did enjoy watching it. The, the deck is just very... It's it's a very cool yeah, deck. Yeah, it's, it's really it's, cool. It's like a beautifully designed deck. Unfortunately, Scape Shift not nearly as fun to watch. <laughs> no, <laughs> and that kind of never is honestly with the Scape Shift strategies. Uh, this one's mostly also just cantrips. Like you play Abundant Growth, Astrolabe, mm-hmm. Remand. Still, you're just trying to dig to Scape Shift, and that's why I'm a little surprised. Uh, and I know our matchup matrix. Definitely the sample size is small. Uh, even given that, I am a little surprised to see that it lists Scapeshift as having a winning matchup against Prowess when the matches we saw really looked tilted in Prowess's favor. And I know that Zan played the Scapeshift deck 
played a couple of matches against Prowess early in the tournament, and he was like, yeah, this just is just not a good matchup. Like, they're... Their disruption is good. Their creatures are cheap. They kill you too quickly, and your your removal your costs seven mana. You just don't. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it, and and cling to dusk stops Uro. Yeah, Uro is kind of like the the best way to claw out from that because you're not going to draw your removal in an eighty card deck. You board <laughs> it in, so you have like six or seven removal spells in your deck. If you have as is it charm, um, if you have nine, nine in an eighty card yeah. deck is a little over ten percent. That's not a lot. You're going to see like one, and you really want to see five because of Lurus. Right. So you right. just kind of like hope to draw two of them and an Uro, and that's hard. Yeah, I think it is. And like is even post-board, like that's the equivalent of having like four bolts in your deck. And having four bolts in your deck has never been enough against a Prowess deck, let alone a Prowess deck that just has an extra crazy threat every game. For and free. you're not a proactive deck. You have this combo kill. Uh, you're not super likely to draw it at any time, but you, you do have it on starting on turn six ish. Mm-hmm. But you're not doing anything that lightning bolts would help supplement. Like you're not presenting a permanent to the board and then bolting the creature so you have counterplay with the other stuff. You're just drawing a yeah. card and then bolting that creature and then they have another one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that said, the scapeshift deck is pretty good. Like it's running a lot of good cards and Yorion, like patches a lot of those you know flaws of the deck when you could just sort of cantrip into lands and not really do anything but you you just cast Yorion and draw three cards and everything's yeah, if, fine if the matchup ever goes to a place where like you're not dead on turn four you're probably gonna win because you just mm-hmm. Yorion and Uro draw so many cards you get to see so much cards that you're either just gonna kill yep. them with Uro or scapeshift like either one yeah, and it definitely, like, the deck to me is way more impressive than, for example, the cat combo deck that has a core of a lot of the same cards, but putting together a two-card combo in your 80-card deck is way more ambitious than just drawing scapeshift in your 80-card deck. Yeah, and uh, we did have one Sahili deck narrowly miss top eight. It was, I think, 10th or something like that. Uh, he was really close, and I was kind of cheering for him because I wanted to see more of his deck on stream. Uh, yeah. But it just didn't get there. It's just a little too inconsistent. Like, you've got a lot of Planeswalkers to work with Yorion, but once mm. you get, like, your initial wave down and they deal with Yorion, you don't really refuel that much. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the flaws with both decks are just kind of, like, a lot of air... You know, you spend a fair amount of time casting Astrolabes and Abundant Growths and, and, and you know, Ice Fang Quaddles that may not be particularly relevant to the matchup. And, you know, these are fine cards, but it's very easy to just draw, like, one too many of them and, and stumble on actually doing something for a little Especially while. Especially since, and, like, with Ice Fang Quaddles specifically, you, you're not going to mm-hmm. see Astrolabe that often early turns. Sure. So, against Prowess, that Ice Fang Quaddle doesn't come on until, like, turn three or four. Yeah, that's true. That uh, you are a little bit less likely to have Astrolabe, and that certainly makes Ice Fang Quaddle worse. Um, it's still like fine against Prowess, but it does die to a one mana removal spell a lot, and they don't really hate spending that card because they're you know they've got Luris, so they can make up for it. Getting that tempo, stealing that tempo off of you when you spent two mana in exchange for their one mana, and you've also spent mana on Abundant Growth or Astrolabe and stuff like that, and you're just kind of like spin and wheels and and your hope was to block with this ice fang quaddle like 
it just doesn't work out all that all that often and then the you know there's also definitely other wheel spinning in that it, you know it's a scape shift deck so it has ramp cards in it and you're not really ramping to things other than scape shift so your search for tomorrow and stuff like you don't really capitalize on that until you actually cast the card yeah. scape shift and other than that like prowess kind of doesn't care that you're uh, doing honestly it. one of the weirdest inclusions to me in this deck was search for tomorrow because I get a growth spiral, you, you get, put a land into play, you feel or uh, that sort of deal. Uh, but Search for Tomorrow mm-hmm. only gets a land, it doesn't draw a card or anything. And it doesn't go in your graveyard right away. <laughs> you have to wait two turns or spend three mana, neither of which is, like, great. Uh, it, it's just a, a really awkward spot that I wonder if, you know, you can keep pushing the Scapeshift deck, maybe make it a little more interactive and less air, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's one thing that I was getting behind with, like, you know, Will Pulliam's Jund deck. Like, it's an interactive deck that has a Field of the Dead-based endgame with Hour of Promise. But the ramp spells didn't really make a lot of sense to me in the deck because you wanted to just interact and then end the game with your big spell. And I, I wonder if... Uh, I wonder if you're right, if that's a place where scapeshift needs to go is is just play more interactive spells and don't worry about scapeshifting earlier. That definitely hurts its matchup against decks that are not the things that its interactive cards are good against, but uh, maybe speeding up your slow combo to be a medium slow combo isn't actually helping you that much anyways. And I think Modern's in a spot where it's just super interactive right now. Mm-hmm. You don't really need to be speeding up your deck a little bit to try and draw a scape shift in a in an 80 card deck, you know? Yeah. By turn five. Yeah. That that doesn't seem as good to me as you know, just playing a few extra removal spells. Yeah, I mean I can certainly get behind that. Everybody's got extra creatures for you to kill. That's that's their eighth card all the time, so you know. Right. Ha- have the resources to kill it. You know which two decks uh impressed or surprised me the most, I guess I should say? I don't know. Is Boggles and Tron. Sure, yeah. So I, I, I just wasn't expecting Boggles at all, anywhere. And I saw it, and it made sense. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, you just beat up on Prowess. Right. Like, you, you, they can't interact with you very well, and you have Lifelink Auras. Yep, draw, Seems good. draw Daybreak Coronet, and you just can't lose. Uh, but when I was looking over... Boggles is the third most popular deck in this tournament. Mm-hmm. And I was looking over the data, and Boggles had just barely over a 50% win rate. Despite having a copy in the top eight, uh-huh. which and I looked at, like I dug into you know some of its matchups and it just pretty much only beat Prowess. It didn't really do that much against anything else. <laughs> yeah, and we actually saw. So Stephen Dykeman was the Boggles player who top aided our event, who has top aided all three of the Lotus Box League events this season. So I, I hope he plays Legacy so he can go for the four up. He doesn't need to. Yeah, he has <laughs> but he can. No reason to, but he could. Yeah, he's just been crushing it, and so he played Boggles, he took it to the top 8, but then we saw him lose to Prowess in the top 8, because he just, you know, the, the Prowess deck has Thoughtseize now, so it can beat basically anything if you just Thoughtseize the right thing and then they don't draw it, so... And it's still magic, like, you get some bad draws here and there, like, I think uh, Steven was stuck on one land in yeah. one game, and that's how, I think Abe is who yeah, it was vanquished Abe. him? yep. That's how Abe was able to get a foothold. He just got to do things while Steven could only play one card a turn. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and the prowess deck is certainly going to be able to win those games. And yeah, the, the prowess deck mostly was set up just to beat Rakdos decks, like paths in the sideboard, life gain auras, you know, uh, hexproof creatures aren't going to die to bolts or pushes, and thought is okay, like you need it at the beginning of the game, but then it does become a really bad draw after turn three or so. It's it's just blank and, and doesn't do anything. Yeah, one, one thing I actually really liked about Caroline's uh, Rakdos deck, she made a top eight as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had Angrath's Rampage in her sideboard, yeah. which is an edict that worked against Boggles. I don't know how often that came up, but it looked like pretty good to me because it also kills Planeswalkers randomly. Yeah, no, I, I, I like it. I think it's flexible and, and pretty strong, and it does cost two mana, but if you have specific decks that you believe that this card is good against, and Boggles is certainly one of them, then I'm, I'm pretty for it. I actually really liked Caroline's sideboard as a whole, mm-hmm. except for maybe the Blood Moon. <laughs> yeah, the one Blood Moon. <laughs> I she, I don't think she came out and said it, but in chat she, she did. Okay, actually. did she 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 was intimating? She that, tweeted about it. Oh, I did. I did not see the tweet. Okay, so what did she say about it? Uh, it was a complete mistake. She changed it last minute. She's like, I, I bet Blood Moon's pretty good right now without realizing. And just put a copy in that you can't. <laughs> and she didn't realize it. It broke Loris. <laughs> See, we but were she's... we were definitely putting her like on on the next level with it, thinking like it's maybe she's just got it in there because they can see her sideboard, it's open deck lists, and even though they can see it's only one, if they are playing Amulet or Tron, then they do have to respect it. And so if they're bringing in Nature's Claims or or whatever because of it, and she just doesn't bring it in, then they're just making <laughs> their deck worse. But yeah, she said she played against Amulet, and they just snapboarded in Reclamation Sage against her. <laughs> so it worked. <laughs> she revealed Luris in game two yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It, was. <laughs> it was perfect. Right. The, I mean, the, the jig is up once you reveal your companion, but if all you're trying to do is get them to board in something terrible, then it's fine. I I don't believe that was the plan. She said it wasn't. But it, but but it worked. It happened. <laughs> That that was the pl- that was the exact plan that that Collins and I just kind of like brainstormed into existence while looking at her deck list. So I'm glad that it worked out, even if it wasn't what she was going for. Back to Boggles briefly. Sure. Uh, that deck plays Luris. It's a Luris deck, mm-hmm. but it's a pretty bad one. It is the Luris decks that don't have reactive stuff to do with Luris, and and also just some amount of reactive stuff in general are way way worse boggles is not a deck that wants to be playing past turn five right which is really where Luris shines yep and like also because you're playing boggles all your creatures have hexproof right so if your opponent ever has removal spells in their hand they're just going to kill Luris with it because <laughs> yeah. that card does not have hexproof thank right. god right that that's that's like the huge thing about the prowess deck is like you know like we've been playing against prowess decks for years like the the swift spear is a huge threat you have to kill it or you're facing down just enormous amounts of damage very quickly and then you might be dry by the time Luris comes into play but against slippery boggle and glig cover scout your, your fatal push is just there or or you've been post board you've just been holding a lightning bolt because it's not lethal yet but you still want it in your deck right right and then they play Luris and you're like oh all right you're dead now <laughs> get your rancor back to your hand or whatever right and it, it does have totem armors, so you can, like, totem armor Luris, but, like, a 4-3 first drinking Luris is not going to kill it. Right, you know? and then you're spending... It has to survive a bunch of Like, turns. your first graveyard cast or a whole spell on just, like, 
putting a totem, putting an Umbra on Lurt. Like, it's just not, you're not doing the Boggles thing, which is make a giant guy and kill them, which is, that's the vast majority of games you win with Boggles. Also, no way to get Lurus back. Most of these decks have a way to get Lurus back. Mm -hmm. Usually it's Culligan's Command. Boggles has just nothing. If Lurus dies, that's it. Yeah, but I mean, like, that's, you know, that's a sign of how good Lurus is in the deck. Like, you don't want... Like, it's not that good in the deck. It's not that important to the plan. You don't want to muck up your deck with ways to get Luris back because very few of your games are about, like, well, if I keep this Luris in play, I think I'm just fine. Like, that's just not how Boggles is going to operate at any point. But you do lose, by playing Luris, you lose Leyline of Sanctity, mm -hmm. which was kind of a really good card because uh, it stops the Thoughtsy stuff that we saw Abe actually kill mm -hmm. Steven with. There's no reason in Boggles that you could not sideboard Leyline of Sanctity, though. You know? Yeah, you could. Like, I don't think Steven had any in his sideboard. Sure. But yeah, it's something you could do. Uh, if, but I wonder how effective Lurus is in game one against as Boggles, you know? I mean, sure. It's, it's probably not great, but can help you in some games. And just, like, not having a companion when everybody else does is not, <laughs> not the best. But well, you're only trying to beat Prowess, right? Yeah, and Luris is probably not doing that much to to contribute to that. Like we saw, we saw Steven like hold off on casting his Luris for a <clears> long <throat> time, and the goal was to hit his fifth land so that he could Luris Daybreak Coronet on the same turn, and that's all he wanted to get out of his Luris is just an immediate Daybreak Coronet cast, and he was willing to just, like, take damage, like, not do stuff for multiple turns in order to do that, because that was the only good thing the Luris could do. He assumed it was going to die as soon as he put it into play, and he wanted to get the one card out of his graveyard that mattered. So that's, like, kind of the best role that Luris is playing in that matchup is, like, sort of maybe protecting Coronet from Thoughtseize if the game goes long enough for you to do that. But it didn't work out, so... <sighs> so, Boggles, I, I am not impressed with. Yeah, it's just... Unsurprisingly, we are not going to recommend that you play Boggles in, in an it's upcoming It's just too one-dimensional. Yeah. I did like Tron, though, uh, surprisingly. Yeah, Tron looked fine. Uh, Jim Davis came with it, came very close to a top eight, and played... You know, just had a build of it that seemed ready for what was going on. Whether the storm looked very impressive in at least the one moment <laughs> we saw it against Dylan Donegan. That was a perfect moment where Dylan just has lethal, says good game. <laughs> like it's weather the storm. No, the, the, the way it worked out that made it so great is he... Jim attacks... With Dylan, everything. With everything. Dylan plays a couple of spells... Makes his guys lethal, attacks, types GG into the chat, and then after five seconds when it seems like maybe it's not GG, just types a question mark into the chat to turn his, <laughs> his good game into a good game. good game. And then Jim just plays the Weather the Storm, gains 15 life, takes some I don't damage. believe Weather the Storm resolved. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dylan he, immediately conceded. He went up to 27 and then Dylan conceded. Oh. But yeah, uh, I mean, Tron looks pretty okay it's definitely benefiting from you know a lot of these aggressive decks just can't have blood moon anymore that's something it that was never like insane against tron but out of an aggressive deck could slow it down enough that it just dies uh that's nice and also it doesn't really need to play into the companion grindy 
sub game here. Like you're not saving no, a removal spell for their Luris. You're just casting a sweeper or casting an Ulamog or whatever and, and ignoring like you're not gonna beat that with Seal of Fire, so Yeah, Tron is not Tron is not the, the deck you really want to grind against because eventually they'll draw like a ten mana spell and <laughs> you're not grinding against that. Yep. Yep. Uh Jim was playing Gigantha even. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason not to. I think you should be playing a Gigantha. Um just like Having one more free spell, like you mulligan to five a lot, you mulligan to four sometimes. Having one medium cost spell to cast and buy you a turn to try to draw a bit, you know, one of your actual Tron spells. I think that is definitely worth a sideboard slot. Yeah, and it helped put some pressure on people when your draw is like all chromatic stars, like after you have a simple Tron. Mm -hmm. You just play Gigantha while you're cantripping. Yeah. So you have a board presence. You don't have to like draw because you're always trying to draw a threat after assembling tron mm -hmm. unless you you know got to keep a seven or whatever right, right but you're usually like a simple tron all right time to draw the threat yes and so you spend a bunch of mana drawing like spending colorless to filter into green to draw your card to get a karn right and, and then you have, you have five wait. or six mana and you can't cast this big karn or this this ugin or whatever but yeah you, so in those turns you just filter green play Gigantha. you draw your car and you're like i can't cast it this turn play Gigantha, go. Yep. That way you have a board presence. Because a lot of the times sometimes this card is just like really good, but you can't afford to have an extra turn. Mm -hmm. Give your opponent an extra turn with no pressure. Yeah. Gigantha patches that hole. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's quite good. I think it really helps. Any more modern thoughts? The only other thing that I want to talk about with modern is the impressive victory Ryan Duncan with uh, Ad Nauseam this weekend. Um, it definitely looked very, very good against Scapeshift. Ad Nauseam has always been good against Valakut and has always been good against Counterspell decks. Combining those two things into one deck that's the most played deck in the tournament makes for a, a, like a pretty happy Ad Nauseam player. And it also is, seemed to be fine against Red Black Prowess. You know, generally it's very good against Burn because Phyrexian Unlife is just gain 10 and a combo piece, or gain more than 10 and a combo piece. I think Red Black Prowess is a little bit better against it than Burn because you do have the benefit of Thoughtseizes and stuff, but definitely... Well, Thought Thoughtseizes and creatures. The creatures are kind of a big deal. Right, right, right. You're... Like, you don't really know how much damage the creatures are doing. You have a range. Mm -hmm. But against Burn, you just know they're going to do two plus three damage a turn, you know? Right. The one the one thing that, like, really helped there, and I think was just the perfect sideboard card for this weekend, is Ryan just had four ley lines of Sanctity in his sideboard. Every Ad Nauseam deck always has four ley lines of Sanctity in their sideboard. Okay, yeah, that that's fair. But this weekend in particular, ley line of Sanctity was an incredible card because the winningest deck in the tournament was a burn deck with thought seizes in it so yeah, it was honestly when things line up i've i always viewed ad nauseum as kind of a really glass cannon deck it's really good against certain things and just fall apart against most other things yes uh it's really good against burn aggressive type strategies mm -hmm. and it's really bad against thought seizes right so they all that's why they always play four ley lines and when you have this metagame where you are playing against a burn-heavy metagame and you just have four ley lines because they're also playing Thoughtseize, it's it's perfect. It's it was it looked pretty unreal. And in particular, the interaction that I really liked was when he got down Phyrexian Unlife against the Prowess deck and also had a ley line. 
So when he was at like two, the prowess deck was not able to take him down to zero and then get full value out of their attack step. The prowess deck had to use a whole attack step to deal that two damage. And then on the next turn could start dealing infect damage. So And yeah. sometimes when you go there, you uh you hit them with your attack to bring them down to zero. And the Angel's Grace, and you're like, oh no. Yeah, yeah, we saw that happen. He just bought so many turns, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Seemed pretty well positioned, and, and Ryan played extremely well. I know he's been having a lot of success with that deck and has, and is a, a devoted ad nauseum player, but a, a deserving winner of our tournament. Yeah, Ryan. Ryan's one of those people who like just studies that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's really, really good at that deck. You could tell. Yeah. Oh, just yeah. Just all his card choices. He wasn't playing Sleight of Hand, uh, which most Ad Nauseam decks do, and I was kind of curious why, so I scrolled through uh, some of his Twitter, trying mm-hmm. to see what he's saying about the deck, and he's like, well, it was an open deck list, so you don't need Sleight of Hand, you just mulligan better. And I was like, oh, that's, that's that really smart. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that is <laughs> like, really smart. Damn. Yeah. I, I, that's just something I just wouldn't have thought about. Sure. Yeah. Because you just... you're not only Sleight of Handing for Ad Nauseam all the time. There's other cards you can play. Yes, of course. Just... <laughs> right, and the deck has, you know, two combos in it now, sort of, because you can spoils of the vault with Asa's Oracle. So, you know, th- there's, like, different ways to construct a, a winning game state, but I-, I assume that you want different ones against different decks, and so you just... Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just mulligan better, and he mulliganed pretty aggressively in the games that we watched him play, and he was always... Like, he always knew what he was drawing towards and how he was going to buy the time to draw those things. Like he, he seemed to always have a plan. And of course with ad nauseum, a lot of times that plan is get down Phyrexian on life and then find ad nauseum and cast it. But you know, it's not always exactly that. There is a lot of sequencing you do in decks like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all the games I saw Ryan play, he just did it perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. And there, it's really difficult to do that. Like, if you, a lot of the games I watched, he was always in a board state where, all right, all right if I draw ad nauseum, I win. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that should always be what happens, but you do have to do a lot of setup to get there. Yeah, definitely. One of the weird things about ad nauseum these days is that it's traditionally very good against counterspell decks, but, and, and I've mentioned this before, uh, a lot of the counterspell decks have some number of Teferi Time Ravelers in them now, and that is a card that you don't have a lot of defense against, and then it turns off your Pact of Negation, and then a counterspell kind of ruins you. So that is a weird spot for it to be in, where it just like doesn't actually beat these all these counterspell decks anymore. But the main counterspell deck that people were bringing to this tournament was Scapeshift, which does not have Teferi in it. So not only that, but all the counterspell decks are Yorion decks, mm-hmm. so you're just gonna see Teferi less often. That's true. That's true. Um, but like, I, don't, I don't think I've seen a Teferi deck that wasn't a Yorion deck in quite a while. Like, I, I guess the the uh, Miracles deck is one. Yeah, and I don't see. I don't think that's actually that meaningful though, because a lot of these counterspell decks before Yorion would run three Teferi Time Ravelers, and they can now just run four Teferi Time Ravelers to have the same number of them, effectively. So, you know, like, yeah, any deck that would have had four has less now, but 
most of those decks did not have four until they were running 80 cards. That's fair. But yeah, that's that's probably enough about modern. We got some other shenanigans to talk about. Let's let's shenanigan. All right. So, well, so number one, we got a couple of bands. Ooh, in in the good and the eternal formats. Yeah, and we kind of knew that almost exactly these bands were coming. We were told that there would be bands in Brawl, Legacy, and Vintage, um, and we ended up with Luris and Zerda banned in Legacy and Luris banned in Vintage, as I predicted would happen. The first power level ban in Vintage ever. So good job. Yeah, but kind of obvious. You know that was not a tough call. The only way to fix Vintage was to get rid of Luris completely, and and they did that. So you know. Good, good job. Vintage regulars, when vintage regulars are just debating on Twitter whether or not Luris, which pieces of power Luris is better than, yeah. you know, something's probably wrong. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we got LSV in there confirming, like, yeah, Luris is probably better than Recall. So, yeah, it had to go. Just anybody who drew their Black Lotus, like, you draw your Black Lotus and you're ahead in most vintage games anyways, but it just made it, like, completely determinate, like, determined a lot of games. Especially since Black Lotus is a card, and then you play a card from not your hand, so you're so much more likely to have Force of Will, plus all the stuff, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, and then you just, you know, have Black Lotus every turn. That seems fine. Until you draw something better. Yeah, I mean, there aren't going to be that many turns in that game, so... (laughs) Well, your opponent might have their Black Lotus and their Luris. Mm-hmm. All all 16 decks in the Vintage uh, challenges last week were Luris decks. Yep. That, all 16 of the top eight. That's that's what happened uh, the week before that, too. So, uh, <laughs> it's just so gross. Yeah. A, a good fix. Uh, Legacy, you know, Luris was not quite at that same level, but it still was, like, pretty unacceptable. So, glad to see it gone. Especially since we are having a legacy tournament in two weeks, and I think that not having Luris is going to open the format up a lot. Um, may just go back to being an Oko format, but whatever. Like I, I think signs point to yes, because Yorion was is still legal. Yes. I hear that's pretty good with the Oko cards. Yeah, that's true. You just play Astrolabe, play Oko, play Yorion. That there there there's a deck. And I'm sure Zerda got banned as well from Legacy, so there's less, you know, combo interaction, like free combo cards mm-hmm. there. Cause the Zerda Grim Monolith thing was basically a one card infinite mana yeah. combo. Uh what's interesting is they just banned the companions outright instead of like banning them as companions. Mm-hmm. Which is more interesting in Zerda's case, because it's like in those Zerda decks, people played three Zerda in the main deck and one in the companion deck. I don't think they would be good decks without Zerda as a companion, too. I, I, I believe that's true. But it uh, it's just weird to me that you'd want that not want that kind of thing, because Gairuda is just a Belcher deck in Legacy. A weird Belcher deck. And it, no one wants that. <laughs> just like there's enough of those. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I mean, yeah, that is true. Yeah, so... Probably not too much to talk about with the bans. The only thing is, like, you know, we knew we weren't getting a modern ban out of this. And after this weekend, what do you think about the potential for, you know, seeing seeing one or two of these companions gone from modern? Do you think that's an important thing to have happen? Do you think it's a likely thing to have happen? 
So right now, I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, Modern's honestly just kind of a good format. It's really, really interactive. The games are kind of back and forth, and there's a lot of good deck diversity among the Luris Yorion decks. So for right now, I, I honestly think it's just fine. Like you can you can play a, a range of decks. You can even like branch out to Tron or Amulet if you're not wanting to play one of the two best companions. Mm-hmm. And the games are good. Like it, it reminds me a lot of uh, Energy versus Mardu standard. Mm-hmm. Where, I mean, sure, there's, like, really only two viable things you can do, but the games are really engaging, they're really fun, but they're gonna get old. Uh, And I think that's the main problem, is that it is going to get old. And there is a little bit of an advantage that it has over Mardu versus Energy, in that there are multiple different Luris decks you can play, there are multiple different Yorion decks you can play. We'll see if they end up coalescing down and it turns out, okay, you actually can only play Red Black and you actually can only play, you know, Scapeshift or whatever with the Orion. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, but either way, like there's definitely at some point just like playing a huge percentage of your games around Luris or around Yorion is just going to like that well is going to run dry. Like, I, I don't think it'll be banned in the next two months in Modern or whatever. I think it'll survive the core set maybe it will even survive until zendikar comes out sure but i think at some point in time when they're when these companions are still just the only ones and they're played in all the time in every game there's no reason not to they're just not gonna be engaging and yeah uh, yeah i i think i think you're right so we'll see how that plays out i mean you know, the next set might come out and they just become unplayable because that's kind of been the trend. So that is scary. <laughs> that is really scary. There, I I saw an interesting take on this: the idea that Wizards has perverse incentives that they are able to sort of massage to their own benefit because Watsi controls the cards that are printed and also controls the ban list. So even when they mess up, they can decide where a card needs to be banned and keep it legal in order to sell sets and like keep it legal in formats where maybe it's not that bad yet. But even if it kind of should get banned, they can sort of, you know, finesse it a little bit. And so, you know, the 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 argument was like, hey, we we should separate who has the ban power and who has the print power. And that would create fewer, like, th- there's there's not as compelling a reason for Watsi to just print these, like, format-destroying cards that you just have to have. Because if they're, if it's, like, two weeks in, it's like, nope, this isn't okay. Then it's like they never printed that card in the first place and it'll backfire on them. So I thought that was an interesting take. I don't know how correct it is, but something that I hadn't particularly thought about as, like, a fix for a potential problem. I mean, it's certainly interesting. I, I'm not going to delve too deep into it. Yeah. But it's... I'm, I'm fine. If we want to, like, separate ban and print power, that's fine. It doesn't seem like to be that with curtail Watsi. It just seems like they'd go harder because they're not responsible anymore. Well, I think uh, they'd also, still be responsible, but they would just... The consequences would be mitigated by a party that is not particularly... That is not motivated at all by selling booster packs. I, and also, whenever I hear one of these kind of shadowy conspiracy theories, 
it always just assumes a level of competence I don't think is <laughs> capable from Watsi. Well, see, I don't think that this is a conspiracy theory, though. Like, it's just, like, the these incentives are pretty face-up on the table. And even if nobody is, like, specifically considering any of this stuff, I automatically make decisions that will, like, cost me less money. I don't really think about the fact that, like, I'm not getting a steak for dinner, but I'm getting a sandwich that I like. But, you know, it costs me half as much. And so that's what I get. And so half these... as much? That's a good sandwich. Well, you know, not every steak is $50. <laughs> if I get a $12 sandwich, then that's, you know, a $25 steak is twice that much. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to derail you. But, you know, I, I'm just saying like a lot of these factors kind of get inbuilt into a culture or into a decision-making process, especially when they revolve around like maximizing sales and stuff. Like it, it can easily just, you know, we got to print good cards because why else would players buy packs? And then that can sort of get focused and the, like a, a weird positive feedback loop can happen. And then we end up with Oko and we end up, although Oko is probably like a weird different story. We end up with once upon a time we end up with companions. We end up with things that like, just like kind of shouldn't get. Underworld breach. Underworld breach. Deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's. I honestly, I would be really interested in seeing the sales numbers, uh, like a few year, a year or so before Throne of Eldrain, and then the year after Throne of Eldrain. Mm -hmm. I think that would be really interesting because I, I really, really liked Throne of Eldrain as a set. That was super cool. Yeah, and there were some busted cards in it. I didn't particularly care for Theros. It wasn't good or bad. It was kind of neutral. I love Underworld Breach. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the only thing I own from that set. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, it just progressively, I'm like, I'm kind of tired of this. I don't want to be forced to buying cards, you know? Sure. Yeah, and, and it's, it's particularly impactful for the players who, like, you don't get to have your deck in Modern anymore. Like, look at the decks that are the best decks in our tournament. It's Teamer Scapeshift with a bunch of counter spells and red black prowess like if you were just like i like to play storm in modern tournaments i know it's not the best thing but it's always fine like sorry bud like you don't have a deck anymore you know like you you, you can't have like your modern deck that's just not a thing like the the top of the format just shifts so quickly and kind of like brand new decks and and brand new cards become the thing to be doing all the time I think that's less a factor of... It's, it's a combined factor, right? I don't think it's solely because of the new cards. I also think it's a huge part of due to the banner-restricted list. Like, I think Box Opal Faithless Looting uh, just cut out a huge swath of people's decks, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. The format is completely different than it was when those cards were legal. And they've been legal forever. Yeah. So, yeah. like, honestly, after... Opal was banned after looting. So after Opal hit the, the bin, uh, that was right around... And Oko. That was right after Throne of Eldraine. Uh, and then we've just been on this wave of new cards. But Modern hasn't really been the player deck format like since then, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like before Th Theros Beyond Death. Yeah, that's true. Um, but that was also... Like a big part of that was new printings from Modern Horizons. Urza got printed... And then Oko got printed. Like these things happened, and and that changed a lot before the Mox Opal ban, certainly. 
Well, if you want to go further back than that, I don't think Monard has been a player on that format since KCI was banned. No. <laughs> well, that's because they told you you couldn't play your deck. No, no, I, I didn't mean that as a personal thing, though. <laughs> I do realize that sounds like it. Uh, but, like, after KCI was banned, Phase mm-hmm. Looting was the strongest card by a country mod. Sure. So you had Phoenix and Dredge just as far as the eye could see. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge barrier to, like, this is the format. And then that kind of defined modern until Faithless Looting left, eventually, with Hogak and all that nonsense. And then it just... It was modern-y for a while, then Oko got printed, and it just evolved further, you know? I don't really think it's been the same ever since KCI got sure. banned. Yeah, I mean, we can we can try to figure out the exact point at which that happened, but... As it stands with modern right now, like like the the decks that we're seeing like change completely every couple of weeks. Like it is as fast moving of a format as standard is. I wish I could know how many. I have a folder of all the cards played in our tournament. I don't think there are very many Urzas registered at all. Like the Yorian deck is just Scapeshift now. Yeah, yeah. And two weeks ago, I would have expected the Yorian deck to be Urza. <laughs> Because that's what people were playing. Right. I, well, yeah, two weeks ago, would you have called Red Black Prowess Team or Scapeshift? Like, no way. You wouldn't have gotten <laughs> no. either of those. <laughs> I would have guessed Prowess, but not You wouldn't have guessed Red, Red Black, Black Prowess. No, and I would not have said, you know, the Four Cling to Dust one, that's that's the one. Right, right. The, this These formats just move so fast. These developments happen so quickly. It's It's pretty wild. Anyways, so, you know, that's some more modern talk well after we said, all right, let's move on from modern. That was like band talk, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just We haven't really talked about modern. Not really. (laughs) That was all about modern. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the legacy bands were good, the vintage bands were good, and who cares about Brawl? Yes, I don't even remember what... Oh, Winota was banned, right? Yeah. And Dranith Magistrate. Right, because obviously, (laughs) if you're going to ban Sorceress Spyglass, you obviously have to ban the card that turns off their commander. (laughs) Ridiculous. I think Dranith Magic should, should just exist in the format. What, what's wrong with 100 card singleton with no commanders? Like, that format's kind of fun. Well, Brawl is not 100 cards, right? I, I know. I know. But, like, I don't like the casual format. This is kind of a personal thing. I just don't really like the concept of commanders. Mm. Uh, it doesn't feel like... Wow, this is a tangent. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't feel like commanders have been, like, a relevant this-is-my-deck thing in a long time. So, hmm. I don't know. Like about since that. pre-cons and then them printing a trillion legends and everyone knows what the best ones and every color combination are. It's just like sure. you lose a lot of identity. Yeah. Well that that all stems from the like printing cards designed for commander problem that has made it like a completely unattractive format to me. Like yeah. rather than exercising creativity and sort of like establishing your identity via the cards you chose to put in your commander deck it's like here are these cards that are way better in commander than all of the other cards because we designed them for commander so you know play them or lose honestly commander was kind of my jam like when alara shards of alara was coming out same or conflux or something like that same i played a lot of commander back then you just got to do like it was a really cool deck building thing, mm-hmm. and then like a year later, a year or two later, they just started printing cards for it, and like, this is kind of neat, but now everyone's just playing the same stuff, Yep, and it's just kind of gotten worse since then, yeah. in my opinion. No, no, but, I, I, I completely agree. The cool part about Commander was finding homes for weird, like, legends that cost, like, 
two and Esper, or, you know, weird sorceries that cost, like, two and then mana of three different colors that just would never see play anywhere else. But it's like, ooh, this is perfect in my commander deck. But now, like you know, they just have, like, play this in your commander deck printed in flavor text on the bottom. And it's it's less like, ah, I found it. I did it. There, there's the joy of discovery isn't there as much. I got to look through all the snakes in my collection for Patron of the Orochi. God, yes, exactly. <laughs> that's like that's what I'm talking about. But man, yeah. we should probably get off our Commander tangent. No, commander this is podcast. what the people want. Everybody loves Commander. <laughs> the Commander podcasts have 20 we're, times the number of listeners that we do. We're bashing Commander. That's not what the people love. I we're com- no we. I don't think that that is true. We're not bashing Commander. We are bashing the current state of Commander as a result of things that Wizards of the Coast has done, which I'm confident is one of the things that people want. So, <laughs> um, I do, I do love bashing Wizards of the Coast on the current state of affairs. That's true. I, I'm looking at my my War of the Spark sheet on my wall, and like, there's a bunch of cool cards in there that are. The ones that are not, like, clearly designed for Commander, that are just, like, cards that didn't do that much, but would be a neat thing to try to make work. Like, alright, Storev, Devark, and Lich is probably not good enough even in, like, old Commander, because it's a combat damage trigger, and that's hard to make happen. But it's neat. You could try to make it work, but... Cards like Helm of the Host are, like... The ones I like, where it's just really clunky, slow, mm-hmm. never get to play it in a real game. Yeah. But it has cool effect. <laughs> this is in my cube for a while, because of Stoneforge Mystic, but I eventually cut it, because it didn't make decks. Yeah, but I'm just not not excited to play with the cards that they have like told designed for me to play with specifically. So, Though I will say, I actually really like the Commander product. I, or, have you looked at the Akoria Commander product? The Commander 2020? I have looked at the cards that were put onto Twitter that I, you know, for a moment couldn't tell if they were in Commander or in the real set. So (laughs) that happened briefly. So a lot of the designs in the new cards, I really, really like. Some of the the cards are really cool. Mm -hmm. They're a really good place to get cards for a cube. Like there's a a whale in the new one that has delve, and whenever you attack with it, you get uh, instant sorcery. You delved away back to your hand. Oh yeah, yeah, that is cool. So it's like, yeah, and there's a lot of cards like that that are just super cool, and they just throw them in cubes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which, and then you know, some percentage of the set is if you have a commander, cast this for free, or if you have a commander, do a thing, and blah blah. blah. Yeah, cards with blank text in other formats. Right, right. Which I don't love, but a lot of the other cards, which are kind of like designed to be played in commander but are broad enough to be played in other casual things i think those are super cool sure no that makes sense retro fairy foundry anyone that card's great that card is really great i i'm kind From of delighted every time that card comes into play and it's also just really good yeah it's so good it it looks so bad i had that in my cube a long long time ago before uh people started playing it in legacy and i just like first picked it once because it was a one-man artifact and I played it, and I'm like, wow, this is just an absurd engine. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it saw play in that completely wild ninjas deck Ninja in deck. both Vintage and Legacy. It wasn't Vintage? I didn't, yeah. I didn't know about that. L- there was an LSV video of him playing the Ornithopter Retrofitter Foundry Ninjas deck in Vintage. Good lord. I have to go take that up after we're done. And one game he 
was like, man, I don't, I don't think I can win this one. And then he drew Retrofitter Foundry and immediately won the game. <laughs> that card is so innocuous, but it's so cool. Yeah, it just like so made two four fours instantly. Sacrifice my ornithopter. Classic. What's our What's our other topics? Um, so the last <laughs> thing that I wanted to go over today was uh, I wanted to talk about very briefly some of the like tournament options and and tournaments that have happened so we should mention the red bull tournament that happened this past weekend one of the largest magic tournaments of all time over 4500 or 4400 something signups uh which Mm -hmm. unfortunately was a little too much for the platform that they chose to run the tournament on um they were running it on mtg melee which is the same platform that we use for our tournaments but yeah it it just is 20 times the entrance it's just not ready for a tournament that size yet, unfortunately. No. And they, they tried to expand. They made they had some new feature upgrades. They upped the size of their servers, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, to try and accommodate them. And it kind of worked. I could imagine like the whole site being unusable. And it just wasn't. It was super duper slow. Yeah. I think the first round ended up taking like three hours or so until they got pairings for the second mm-hmm. round. Um, so that was definitely a little rough and... It kind of sucks that, you know, because we want these Red Bull tournament type things to happen. We want outside sponsors for tournaments. Like, that's a really big deal to have happening. These tournaments I don't, like, super care about. I don't want to, I'm not, like, mega jazzed to play in a 4,000 person tournament with prizes to top eight only. Yeah, the reward incentives were really poor for this tournament. Right. (laughs) And did they have coverage? I think that they did. Yeah, because, because, because. Yuzo was doing coverage, so yeah, they they did have coverage, but I have to imagine that it did, the coverage did not go particularly smoothly either if the tournament didn't. So definitely kind of rough, and only the first, only the winner of the tournament qualifies for their like like big actual prized event, right? I I do not know the structure of the tournament. I when I, I looked at it on melee, I saw there were fifteen hundred people, and it only paid out the top eight. And I'm like, this is not for me. Right. And then there ended up being three times that many people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm glad that it exists. I hope that future ones go more smoothly, and I hope that people have fun playing in them. The other big announcement that we got about tournaments that you can play from home is that now Arena is offering at least some an analog of two-day cash tournaments there's an event that you can enter on saturday and if you get enough wins in that then you qualify for the sunday event and then the sunday event if you get enough wins you win one thousand or two thousand dollars in actual money which kind of like raises the question of like why wasn't magic online ever able to do tournaments for actual money before but like i guess that's the wrong response to be taking to this thing which is that all right cool we're getting we're getting some tournaments now they're making it happen like in client tournament running at least by wizards even though they're not giving organizers the ability to run tournaments which you know hopefully they will do eventually be nice i i kind of like the the idea of the open, if I don't love the execution. Yeah, so. I think that's that's kind of a pretty standard response to a lot of new things <laughs> that Wizards rolls out. Because um, the way the tournament works, and correct me on any details if I'm wrong, because I only perused the announcement. Uh, it's a two-day 
event. Yes. You have to qualify for D2. Yep. In order to do that, you have to get, you know, some number of wins without losing mm-hmm. some number of times. Uh, but in day one, you have to play best of one. Yes. You must play best of one. No sideboards or no sideboarding mm-hmm. allowed. Uh, you can still like your companions. You can still play your fate of wishes or whatever you want to do. Karn, right, right. I guess it's still legal. If you lose too many times, you don't. You have to stop playing. But you can just rebuy your entry to try to qualify again. Yeah. Correct. Yes. And so that's I don't I can't quite tell if I think that's a good thing or a bad thing. There, there's something good about enter a tournament day one doesn't go well, you shake it off. And then you go, like, get some exercise or go get some food or, you know, whatever you would do at home otherwise. There's something to be said for that. But if you really want to day two this tournament and, you know, you 02 drop or 03 drop the the thing, like, you can just rebuy. And having that option, like, if we were just, like, rational individuals, having that option is a net positive, like, only a good thing but we're not super rational individuals. And so I can definitely see somebody who's just getting unlucky, like rage entering like four times and tilting and not playing well. And it's just a bad thing for them. So it's, uh, is there a limit to how many times you can reenter? I don't, think I don't think so. Is. And I think that's one of the motivating reasons. Cause like, it's like, why, why is this best of one? And it's so that you can lose really quickly and reenter. I be- like, like it encourages you like, to, to be able to just enter this a bunch of times until you get there. So I've thought about this briefly, and I I, I don't mind the re-entry thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just at its face. Yeah. But it seems super weird the way it's set up. Uh, that you it's best of one, the games are super fast. And if you go 03, if three, three bosses is the cutoff, you can just enter again, that seems fine. Right? Mm-hmm. But if you go like four and three or five and three yeah you spend a much larger portion of your day but you're at the same spot so rebuying there kind of feels weird to me yeah because you're just investing so much into it where it, if the rebuy option exists it would just make more sense to to me to have it just to be on different days like thursday and friday and saturday are day ones sunday is day two sure you know Sure. And so you have X chances to do it. But, yeah. you know, as for, from a standpoint of we would like people to enter this day one as many times as possible. Like this certainly makes sense from that that particular goal. Yes, there's no reason monetarily for Wizards to like stretch it out, you know? Right. And, and, and that... it might even decrease the player base for each day. Yeah. Which is probably not an, in danger for Arena. But I think the entry of this tournament is like two hundred thousand gold, which is a lot. It's twenty thousand, maybe. It's twenty. Yeah, it's the equivalent of twenty dollars. So, so twenty thousand gold. Yeah, and and it ends up being like pretty reasonable EV at anything above a fifty percent win rate. It's actually like a pretty decent tournament, and so like I I don't want to complain too much about any of this stuff because I, do you get anything for day one like other than qualification? I don't actually know exactly what the prizes are i just read somebody's tweet that broke down the ev and they were like yeah this ends up being just fine so classic magic flare <laughs> read the tweet of someone who's done the work well look if if 
if people are going to do the work and then there's no like outcry about like this EV is atrocious, then I'm just going to kind of trust like it's probably fine. I'm not going to worry about it too much. And like the exact prizes don't super matter to me. If, you know, somebody broke it down and was like, guys, this EV looks really bad. Then I would look at it in a lot of detail to make sure that like I am not just accepting that at face value and, and like not criticizing out of nowhere. Do you, are you looking forward to playing in the event? Um, yeah, so I have not, like, during quarantine, like, my focus has certainly been on covering our tournaments and not particularly on playing Magic, and so one thing that I have wanted to do is sort of just sit down and make a quarantine Magic schedule for myself, like, pick out the online events that I want to play in, set up testing schedules like I did, like I would do for actual tournament, for for paper tournaments, and kind of get back into that groove a little bit. So I do kind of like that this, I like this exists because I was intending on doing that. And, and this is just one of the things that's going to go onto the calendar. I do not like that I have to prepare for two formats if I really want to like get this, you know, do this thing. Like I have to at least be ready for best of one and I don't need to have broken it because I get multiple tri- multiple tries, but I also don't want to spend $80 qualifying for day two of this thing. How much of a difference do you think best of one and best of three is right now? I think it's probably a big difference. It always is. For for whatever reason. And I don't know enough about standard. Maybe, you know, maybe Luca's just crazy good in best of one as well. But, uh, you know, like, it's certainly when you switch ladder from one to the other, the metagame just changes completely. At the beginning of this format, I, I was warming up by doing a little bit of best of one, and I played against Mono Red five times in a row. And then I switched to best of three, and I played for days and didn't play against Mono Red a single time. So, you know, they're different metagames. Yes, and I remember in the, the olden times, you know, around the first large arena tournament, I don't know what it was called. It wasn't the Silver Showcase. Yeah. <laughs> but that is what I want to call it. <laughs> but, yeah. And it's but not... It was the, a best of one. It was not the Mythic Invitational, or was it? I, I do not remember the name of it. All it right. was a Mythic something. I'm sure it had Mythic in the name. Okay. That's like a lock. <laughs> it could have been the Mythic Invitational. I think it was. But it, it, it's just like a best of one. It was like a rock, paper, scissors between Monored, Esper, and some other deck i don't remember right right i do remember the tournament that yeah it was was a teamer teamer wreck mono red and esper sure it was horrible to watch no one enjoyed playing it yeah everyone thought it was just all coin flips yeah uh but you know standards has powered up significantly since then right war of the spark onward was since then yeah so I wonder now if that and Mono Red just is nowhere near as good as it used to be. Oh, it's definitely. And I don't bad. I don't think at a high competitive level. You know, that was like gold because I was starting out the season. So I don't think at a high competitive level it's gonna be like all mono red in best of one. But No, but I th- I think there'll be a lot of mono red in best of one, even yeah. in this open tournament. Yeah. Just because people know if there's only one game people can't sideboard against me, mono red's pretty good, True. you know? True. That's people try to play mono red in the Red Bull tournament. Uh, because they thought it would get under Luca and be able to kill them with an Embercleave before they could Agent of Treachery away stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that didn't work out because Luca decks just started playing a bunch of Deafening Clarions. Yep, yep. In addition to the Shatter of the Skies, so they just still won. And I kind of wonder if 
that's just what best of one is now. You just play Luca with adaptations toward aggressive fast types. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, generally I'm just not excited to play best of one for any sort of stakes. And, like, basically if I'm going to do this, like, I'm going to prep for standard and I'm going to kind of want to guarantee I make day two. And so that means that I'll just, if I have to spend 80 bucks, if I keep screwing up in best of one and not getting there, like I'll spend, I'll play it four times and try to get there. And I don't really, I'm not looking forward to that, really. I would like to prepare my standard deck with 75 or 95 95. cards. (laughs) I'd like to have it in the best condition that I I can and then go play matches with it. That's what I would like to do. I don't want to play best of one day one. I I think that's, a very, very common stance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm just not going to play the event. Yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable response, honestly. It, it is troubling to me because it feels like the entire impetus behind making day one best of one is to encourage people to keep rebuying as much as possible. And I believe that's true as well. And I, you know... I don't think it's fair to like every time wizards makes a decision with that, that is aimed towards making a profit. Like you can't criticize a company for trying to make a profit, but when they are prioritizing that over things that I think are also important, like player experience and fun magic and stuff like that, then it becomes a real problem when the only decision-making factor seems to be that profit incentive. And I, I'm willing to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do 100% believe that the tournament is best of one to encourage people to be able to rebuy. Yeah. But I think the the more reasonable thing for me is that they said, all right, we want this best of we want this tournament. We want people to be able to rebuy into it. We only want it to be one day because of, you know, whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Maybe player response or whatever. So in order to make that happen, we want people to rebuy into it. We'll just make it best of one so that people aren't playing all day and feel like they need to just devote their entire day. So if they get four, three and a best of three, they're not, you know, spending 15 hours sure. qualifying for this thing. Sure. So we'll make it best of one. I, I could see that being the conversation. That seems more reasonable to me than, all right, how do we make people enter this as many times as possible? And I think it's bad that the tournament is best of one because people can think that and because best of one is just not as good as best of three. Yeah. It just isn't in any way. <laughs> Cause you get to play three times as many games and have more decisions. Right. And, and I, especially maybe for that a high is, tournament, maybe that is one of my kind of my main criticism behind the, the day one rebuys is like, then it motivates like a cascading poor decision tree sort of. Like, even if, okay, we want people to be able to rebuy day one so that nobody gets left out if they really want a day two, even if that has good intentions. And then the follow-up decision to that is, well, we don't want them to have to, we don't want anybody to spend seven hours playing and then feel obligated to rebuy. So, so then let's make it best of one. But then that ends up in a bad place where now we are playing best of one for some reason. So, you know. That And if that all just stems from, we want players to be able to rebuy into day one, then that may be the thing that's really making me go, I don't love this rebuy thing. Like, it's not it's not all upside. Yeah, it, there's a huge 
time sink. And that's that's why I think best or day two is just a normal magic tournament. Because you only get to play it once. Yeah. You just want your matches to be impactful. Yeah, and, and so it's just like you have to do this chore and maybe like keep putting money into the slot machine in order to earn the privilege of being able to play in a normal magic tournament. I guess that's kind of the way I feel about it. I just don't, I'm not looking forward to playing best of one at all. Yeah. And I'm right there with you. <laughs> all right. Well, that's so probably, we'll enough. I, think, I think we kind of have covered that in kind of full detail and we've kind of covered a lot of stuff. Do you want to do a quick Patreon question? We don't have to sure. do one of the hard ones, but I know you, you What's solicited a hard questions question? today, so. What, the, what, would, what would you define as a hard Patreon question? It's some, something that's going to take 10 minutes to talk about. Ah, yeah. uh, here's an easy um, one. Are y'all doing a Runeterra Grindcast episode? No, we are not. <laughs> that can't be the... All right, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> this was fun. <laughs> I said an easy one. We did it. All right, just throw that in the end credit scene and perfect. <laughs> Great. Um, I mean, can, you want to do what are some non-magic games you recommend? Because I got a couple. Yeah, sure. I do too. Cool. Um, so Nick asks, what are some non-magic games, video games, board games, card games, etc. you recommend? So Lee, I know that you play a lot of, uh, you're, you're like my indie game friend and you play a lot of the kind of rewarding the the games that reward like technical skill and learning how to play the game and really mastering the 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 gameplay of something so i I don't know what have you been what have you been into lately uh recently i've been playing uh this game i picked up it was called fury unleashed uh i only started playing it so i'm not sure if i want to recommend it but it is like it's kind of like a metal gear not metal gear What's the old arcade game where you just like... Oh, Metal Slug? Yeah, Metal Slug. Yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, it, it's like that, except for it's a roguelike. You like have to progress through the game like normally through the levels and then also through kind of a rewards system like all roguelites have, like a progression, mm-hmm. uh, which has been super interesting because, you know, randomly generated stuff is my jam for these kind of things because yeah. levels do get pretty old in the old beat-em-ups. Sure. That's been interesting. I've been playing that recently on and off. Uh, I've been playing a bunch of Legends of Runeterra, the uh, card game Riot made recently. I think it came out just like the end of last month. The the new set just came out? Yeah. yeah. like it, it released from beta, so it's like released oh, now. Oh, I see. Sure. And it, the new set came with it. It's just got like seven factions. You do your stuff, and... I've been really enjoying that game. It's got really quick pace, lots of good visuals. I can actually play it on my phone, which is a big deal. <laughs> yeah, the the execution is is definitely top notch. Um, I I did really enjoy Runeterra for a while, but ended up getting a little bit bored with it, and just like I don't have the like deck building itch towards it that you know makes me pick card games back up. So I, I have put it down for now, but I'm sure I'll pick it up back up at some point. And I am always, always playing Slay the Spire. Same. <laughs> if anyone listening to this has not played that game, yeah, you should pick it up. You have like, to play Slay the Spire. I agree completely. If you love magic, it's just going to be your game. And it looks awful when I was introduced to the game, like the art style. 
uh, I was like, this game just does not look good. It's not visually pleasing. I don't want to play it. <laughs> uh, and my roommate bought it. And I was like, I'm not going to buy this. I'm just going to just save up for more magic cards. And then I watched him play it for like half an hour. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is really interesting. I need to play this game. <laughs> and then you just can't get it out of your head. Like, it's just so fun. Ah, Honestly, it, it's one of the best games. Maybe the best video game I've ever played, honestly. It's so it's good. beautifully designed. And if you don't know what it actually is, it's a, a deck-building game that's, like, kind of player versus environment. You crawl through a dungeon and you're trying to kill things and make your deck better as you go along. That's that's the essence of the game. And there's, like, a million modifiers. Cards, stuff that makes your character stronger or weaker... And, and it's a roguelike. with how you do. Um, yeah. And so, you know, a run is, if you play slow like me, a run is like an hour long. And, you you know, your deck is, your deck and your character are different every single time. Which feels like it would be bad. I know a lot of people, uh, I first introduced the game to uh, ask me, is there any, like, progression? Like, am I getting stuff? Am I unlocking things? Or after I hit the end of the game, do I just, like start a new game because you you unlock cards briefly at the beginning but that's kind of it yeah you don't like unlock permanent buffs to your character or whatever and that feels like it'd be a deal breaker but the game is so deep and there's so many levels of difficulty that chris has been playing this game for months what difficulty are you on you even got to the last one no i'm on like ascension 14 is my highest one yeah and that's out of 20 and they start getting really hard after 14 so Yes, they, they are very challenging, and they, it, it just, the game builds on itself. It's very, very, very good. If like you're looking for a game to pick up, you've never played it, and you don't even have to devote that much time to it. You can like pick it up, play a few rounds, put it down. Just pick up Slide Spire. Yeah, I mean, like our listeners are Magic players. Like You don't need to get permanent buffs in a game in order to make playing it rewarding. Like... I, my permanent buffs in Magic after playing games of Magic are that I'm better at Magic. And it's the same thing with Slay the Spire. Like, you get better and you realize that you're better and it's very satisfying. What about you? What have you been playing? Um, so I just finished Gris. Oh, you finished it already? You told me to play it, like, yesterday. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's like a three, three and a half hour game. Um, and I just kind of could not stop playing it. It is... Uh, hard to describe it it's a platformer but it's like quite linear you kind of always find yourself going in the right direction because the whole point of it is that it's not you're not supposed to end up being like you know a lot of platformers function on this axis of like frustration but then when you get it just a high level of satisfaction because the frustration dispels and you're like i did it but, it's highly technical, that yeah, kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. You and and not, I'm not even game. talking about, like, Super Meat Boy here. Like, even Mario and stuff operates on that axis to some extent. It's about, like, doing the hard thing and being satisfied that you did the hard thing. Um, but this game is trying to play with and, and induce a lot more complex emotions. And so it's more of an exercise in nonverbal storytelling. And the music is just absolutely jaw-dropping. And the visuals are all these like really stunning watercolor and, and line work illustrations. And the background is, is super textured and 
the game starts out in black and white, but you unlock colors as you uh, go through the levels and you sort of rebuild the world around you, both in the colors and just the the way that it changes based on the abilities that you get. And it just, it flows, and the story it tells is just, it's, the game is stunning. It is probably the most beautiful video game. It's definitely the most beautiful video game I've ever played. And it's an experience that is honestly not to be missed. That is that is the game that is in my head right now, and you know, as soon as once I got halfway through it, I just bought a copy of it for my sister because I wanted her to play through it, and I would like to share it with other people as well, and I I would like to talk about it too. I honestly like I finished it, and I kind of want to play through it again and record my playthrough so that I can make a video talking about the storytelling elements of it because I'm so impressed with it and I want to think about it more. So um, that's cool. Yeah, I'm really, really about that game. Uh, other games that I've spent a bunch of time on kind of recently and otherwise, like I will always recommend Path of Exile if people want, if if you have liked, if you were a Diablo 2 fan at any point, give Path of Exile a shot. And I did just spend a lot of time playing through Horizon Zero Dawn, which uh, at first... I was not like super into because I had just played God of War and The Last of Us and the like acting and writing in Horizon Zero Dawn couldn't quite meet the expectations that those games had like put my headspace into. But then the whole game was just like a pretty satisfying, just the aesthetics are really cool. The like bow based combat is very fun. The collectibles are satisfying and it's, it, it's a really fun game. So if you got a PS4, I definitely... And you have not, you know, that that's the triple A game I'm recommending right now, I guess. Have you, your description of Gris reminded me of a game I played a while ago. Have you ever heard of, I guess, because I doubt you've played it, <laughs> a, a game a game called Teslagrad? No, I have not heard of that. So it's an indie game. It's a few years old, maybe four-ish. Uh, it had a really intriguing concept where it's a platformer, but it's a puzzle game essentially mm-hmm. like you're just a normal platformer but the way you interact with the levels and beat the bosses is essentially you just have to figure out what to do sure it's a really interesting concept i really huh. enjoyed it it's like worth it's like a really cool game to play if you're into game design gotcha because it does something that games just don't really do like you're usually playing a platformer you're you know jumping from place to place figuring out what ability you need to go to a certain place, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this game has that, sort of. <laughs> you just have to figure out how to use your thing on what to make the world behave as you want. Sure. It's it's very interesting. I, cool. It's yeah, that sounds probably like a couple bucks or something. But it, it's a really interesting game that your your gris reminded me of. It's nowhere near as beautiful. It's just like a pretty simple right. It, fine graphics or whatever it's an indie game <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> but it's like different games are going for different things and definitely like gris sacrifices a lot of like technical game like it plays really smoothly and you're never like oh my god i'm slipping around i can't make these jumps you know the the, the jumping mechanics are on point and stuff but th- as far as like technical platformer goes like it's not that and as far as like the puzzles in the game go they're, they're not like brain benders but they're like environmental interaction things that you, you don't even 
Like, there's no, there's none of the, like, Metroidvania stuff where you, like, run into a corner and you're like, eh, I don't know if I can get through this. And then you run around the map in other places for 20 minutes and then you come back to the corner and you're like, okay, I think I'm supposed to go through here, but I don't know how. And then you eventually figure it out. Like, you get to a corner of the map where there's a puzzle and then it doesn't let you out of it until you figure the puzzle out. So it just, like, the levels naturally guide you through them in a you know, there's a lot of going back and forth and you see different parts of the map multiple times. But as far as playing through the game goes, it is pretty linear and it sort of walks you through itself because of the level design. But it it's not it doesn't feel like you're being babied. It feels like you're on. I mean, it, you're, you're playing through a, a, a short film, basically, is, is what's going on. And, uh, you know, for the type of work that it's trying to do, that is the way that it has to be, pretty much. I, I'm definitely going to pick it up and play it probably this weekend, because I don't have super that much time on the weekdays. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would love to hear what you think about it. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Cool. All right, well, thanks, everybody, for listening to us talking about video games for a little bit. We really appreciate you hanging out and listening to the podcast. Lee, I may have to ask you back next week as well. I'm not sure if uh, Collins will be back and ready to record then. So Okay. Yeah, if you need me, you know where to find me. Yep. In your pocket on the internet. Yes, always there. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. We really appreciate it. Everybody who is a patron, we super appreciate your support. If you'd like to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. You can also go to our website, mtggrindcast.com, and we have links to all the old episodes on our Patreon and things like that. We have a legacy tournament coming up in two weeks. So just Google Lotus Box League, and you will find that if you'd like to enter. If you don't really want to play in a legacy tournament maybe tune into twitch.tv slash team lotus box and and check us out we will be doing coverage if you want to find us online uh, on social media i am tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast the podcast is on twitter at at mtg underscore grindcast and lee is on twitter as well i'm at lee mcleo i'm still i'm still looking for at lee mcleod yeah if that guy just won't get rid of just you won't, twitter won't get rid of him just squatting on it not not tweeting at all no not at all terrible all right lee thank you so much i really appreciate you covering for collins here it's super helpful and i i believe that people are into it so you know thank you oh very yeah much. we we got like a good episode in we talked about commander everyone's favorite format <laughs> who knows if you need me next week who knows where that could go it could go yeah absolutely anywhere we can we can make up a new commander format where we just like ban all the cards that were clearly designed for Commander. Like, we'll get right on that. We'll call it old school. <laughs> it's perfect. That'll work. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Bye.